Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. Few public policy discussions have generated more heat and less light in 2021 than the debate over America's troubled racial past. Indeed, just this past week, state lawmakers sent a controversial bill to Governor Roy Cooper that would seek to micromanage how the subject is taught in public schools with an eye toward sheltering white students from hearing or learning uncomfortable truths. Happily, the political right's concerted effort in this area has also sparked a great deal of pushback from historians and other experts who've patiently explained the vital importance of engaging our children in honest discussions on race. One of those experts is Rhonda Taylor Bullock, the executive director of the Durham-based education nonprofit We Are, which stands for Working to Extend Anti-Racist Education. And as Taylor Bullock told me earlier this week, colorblindness with respect to race is not only impossible, it's not even helpful or desirable. Well, Dr. Taylor Bullock, welcome to News and Views. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about We Are, the organization that you're the executive director of working to extend anti-racist education. Talk to us about the group and its mission. Yeah, so uh, We Are is a nonprofit organization housed in Durham, and we provide anti-racism training for children, families, and educators. We use a three-pronged approach to dismantle systemic racism in education and beyond. By offering summer camps for kids and rising first through fifth grade, professional development for educators and workshops for parents and families. And we've been doing this work as a team since about uh, 2016. Terrific. I've been reading a lot about this and trying to educate myself over the years. And but I think a lot of people still, particularly white people like myself, aren't familiar with the term anti-racist or they haven't gotten there yet or anti-racism. Can you give a little thumbnail sketch of what it is and what it isn't? Yeah, well, it's not a fixed position. It's something that you constantly have to be working towards. So you can't do a set number of things and say, I've arrived at being an anti-racist, right? So that's one piece of it. But it's just the work, the thoughts, the beliefs that people do. It is definitely, it is an action to combat racism. And it's not a hate all one group of people and love another group of people. It's about liberation. It's about living in community. It's about undoing and disrupting systems of harm and uh, mistreatment based on race, religion, you know, skin color, the language a person speaks, a person's um, immigration or citizenship status. It's about fighting against all of the harms, the violence, um, the hatred that is housed under racism. And it's about fighting against that and trying to undo that to create a more socially just, equitable society. One of the things I've been struck by and thinking about and contemplating is that it's an ongoing thing. It's not like you. so many people, I think, these days, unfortunately, want to say, declare themselves colorblind and say, I'm colorblind. It's all taken care of now. I look at everybody equally, and so everything's okay now. But the message you're delivering is that this is something we all have to work at all the time in this society we inhabit. Yeah, we do all have to work at it all the time. And then we have to operate in truths, right? We're not colorblind. Um, and seeing seeing a person's race as a part of their identity is not a bad thing. Racism <laughs> is what's bad. Like seeing a person in their full identity and um, honoring our differences. Like we're not all the same. We're all different. And that's a good thing. And those are things to be celebrated. And then to pretend as if we treat everyone um, the same, which we don't. And then that's just not a good idea. 
(laughs) you know, because we're not the same. And I think people have good intentions in saying those statements, but they're not true. And we just should speak more closely to um, the type of reality that we want to live. I see who you are in your individuality and in your group identity. And I I can have love and appreciation for you, for who you are, and also have a healthy love and appreciation for who I am, you know, as a person. Speaking of that kind of important and groundbreaking education, you've launched a new campaign, a public awareness campaign, which bears the name Dear White Parents, which is maybe in some circles a bit of a provocative title, but it's 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 a fascinating. You've got a video that goes with it. Can you tell us about this whole campaign and sort of the gist of it? And I will say, you know, it wasn't us as an individual organization that um, launched this. We did this in collaboration with Academy Award nominee Kevin Wilson. And also this was like the brainchild of uh, Marjanae Moore Roberts, who's a part of IPG The Extra. And the marketing firm came together and reached out to us because they had this idea. And so um, because of my research and background in uh, studying being a critical race theorist and um, doing critical whiteness studies specifically and working with white children and white families, um, they reached out to We Are and, and to me to help consult on this project. And so while some people may be, you know, taken aback by this very direct language, speaking directly to a certain um, demographics of people, particularly those who identify as white parents, um, this is important work. For years, Black and Brown and, and families of the global majority have been having these conversations about mm. race and racism, how to prepare our children for it, how to arm our children. And um, by and large, these conversations have not been happening with white families and with white children. And so given not only our uh, current racialized context, but also our history, you know, but this current racialized context coming off of last summer um, after Officer Chauvin murdered George Floyd, there's been this increased emphasis on talking about race and racism and what we can do about it. And white parents having these conversations, while it's not the end all be all, it is a start to being on this journey of trying to undo histories of racial harm. We're talking with Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock, who's the executive director of the Durham-based nonprofit education group, We Are, which is short for Working to Extend Anti-Racist Education, their new uh, effort called Dear White Parents. And it's urging white parents in America to have some of the conversations that parents of color probably have long had to have with their children. I think that's a reality maybe that a lot of white parents don't recognize is the reality for parents of color is you have to talk to your children about the world they're going out into because often, especially for young Black men, confrontations with police, confrontations with authority figures, it's almost unavoidable for them, no matter what the level of their behavior or their economic background. It's just a reality of life, unfortunately, right now in modern America. Right. I mean, it's important to help all of us really to make sense of this world, but white children as well, because it is a privilege. Like when you're not the target of discrimination, it is easier to move about the world and not pay attention, to not have these conversations because you're not directly impacted and to think that, oh, I want to preserve my child's innocence and I don't want them um, to be overly wise in the world. And while some people take that stance and and white families, they may hold that stance. But one, one of the things they don't understand is that even in a home where you teach your child to love everyone. White children are still showing up in pre-K and kindergarten causing harm. Mm -hmm. Even when you haven't intentionally taught your child to hold bias and beliefs, children make sense of the world around them and they're causing harm. And so many families, rather than like owning that knowledge, 
And then having these very specific anti-racist conversations with children at age-appropriate stages, they're turning somewhat of a blind eye to it. And they're also turning a blind eye to some of the harm that their children uh, could be causing. As you, I know, are well aware, there's a debate going on right now in North Carolina about our public schools and about uh, how we teach the history of race in our state and our country. And there's been the attitudes been expressed by some parents that they're worried that their children, particularly parents of white children, that they'll be saddened or they'll be embarrassed or they'll be made to feel bad by confronting the reality of what has happened in our state and nation over the last several centuries in terms of racism. I wonder if you have a response to that. What do you say to folks who are so worried about that, that they think we shouldn't teach the hard truths of race and racism? Yeah, discomfort is a human emotion that we all experience. And then we push past it, right? We provide tools and resources for our children to handle um, that discomfort. And our children and, and white children are, you know, in many instances, experiencing that range of emotions on a daily basis, regardless. And so I think to say that we have to protect white children from history and their people's history, you know, is, is harmful. That's a violent thing to do. It's a type of abuse, actually, um, to try to create this alternative reality or to try to shield children from that truth, especially when it's such a real lived experience for families of the global majority and Black families uh, in particular. Like, we have to have these conversations because of what our children are experiencing. My own children have already had some experiences they're now um, 10 and 7, but even when they were younger. And so um, this just not a realistic expectation. I think the more appropriate approach is to let's have this conversation. What are the tools and resources that we need to help our children process this? Because I'm not going to learn about race and racism is not fun. It's not funny for anyone. It's sad for a lot of people. Right. And other types of history are also sad and emotional, maybe even embarrassing for some. But we don't, you know, try to deflect or censor. We, we get the tools and the resources and, and develop coping mechanisms to understand reality. And I think that's the best path forward. Talking with Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock, the executive director of the Durham-based nonprofit education group, We Are. Have you had hopeful experiences in which white people have kind of, the light bulb has kind of clicked on for them and they've said, aha, you know, they've had aha moments where it dawned on them that they'd been so oblivious in that in this area and have made real progress perhaps in their lives and being more a part of the of the effort to combat racism in our society? All the time with the workshops that we lead as an organization, we see those light bulbs going off and um, are definitely happy to see them. It's like a bittersweet. It's yeah. almost like, why did it take this long? Right. Yeah. But also welcome. <laughs> and now <laughs> let's let's do the work. And it is definitely a humbling um, experience too to watch my colleagues that we co-create and co-facilitate this work with. So it's not just me as an individual, um, but these spaces that we've learned to create in these learning environments that deal with the hard truths of systemic racism and, and white supremacy to see folks have that light bulb to experience a range of emotions. Some of it is sadness, some of it is tears, some of it is fragility, some of it is anger, some of it is embarrassment, but then to move forward. Okay, so now what do we do with this? How can we show up differently starting tomorrow and for us, because we deal specifically with educators, but uh, people from a range of backgrounds, how do we show up differently at work tomorrow on behalf of the children and our colleagues and families that we work with in our educational system? It's an inspiring work. We're really so happy to be able to at least shine a bit of a spotlight on it. Thank you for all you do. I take it you probably wouldn't mind if people wanted to learn more about your organization, maybe help out, learn more about the efforts that you're 
uh, undertaking, where, where should they go to learn more? Yes, please follow us um, on social media. Um, our tag is at we are underscore O-R-G. Um, you can visit our website at weare-nc.org. Um, we're also in the midst of a fundraising campaign as a nonprofit organization. We're always doing that. So we're, of course, always willing to accept donations, but we know everybody can't give. And these are tough times, particularly in a, a, a pandemic era. But we appreciate sharing the knowledge, um, participating in the events that we host, sharing information about the programs that we offer with other people, children, families and educators, um, please do that. And we would love to see you all in some of our trainings and sessions. Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock, Executive Director of the Durham-based nonprofit education group, We Are. You can check them out at weare-nc.org. Dr. Taylor Bullock, thanks for being with us. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a a follow-up conversation in the months ahead. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncpolicywatch.com. For producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views. A weekly look at state and policy issues is a production of North Carolina Policy Watch. Visit them online at ncpolicywatch.com.